From the entertainment section of the New York Times, Frank Sinatra, A Hundred Years On, The Voice Resonates Still, by Stephen Holden, Andrew R. Chow, and Nate Chinen. Frank Sinatra gave pop music a beating heart. Before Michael Jackson, before Bob Dylan, before Elvis Presley, there was Sinatra, the first modern pop superstar. In the flood tide of centennial tributes, he was born on December 12, 1915. We celebrate the cool ring-a-ding-ding Sinatra, a man with the world on a string. But his most far-reaching accomplishment was infusing popular music with intimate personal emotion. His union of the singer and the song was fortified by his proto-hipster image, a film noir loner in a fedora with a cigarette and a drink. The flip side was the swinger betting countless beautiful women and partying with his pals till dawn. To borrow a title from Tom Wolfe, he was a man in full. In Sinatra's intensely emotional interpretations, Popular standards took on a new life by becoming quasi-autobiographical confessions. The lyrics mattered as never before, foreshadowing the singer-songwriters of the next generation. Men didn't simply admire him, they wanted to be him, partly because he revised the definition of masculinity. He made self-pity a virtue. Beginning with his somber 1955 album of Torch Songs, in the wee small hours, which some believe to be the greatest pop album ever made, Sinatra gave men license to cry without shame. Sanctioned by a tough guy who consorted with mobsters, behavior once synonymous with cowardice and weakness became noble suffering. Before 1955, most popular music was dismissed as kitsch by the reigning culturati, and distinctions between high and popular art were rigidly demarcated. By treating popular standards as secular art songs dressed up in elegant semi-classical and pop-jazz trappings by his most brilliant arranger, Nelson Riddle, Sinatra began blurring the distinctions. Almost single-handedly, he canonized the American Songbook, a body of work created mostly for Broadway and the movies that looms much larger than it might have, had he not given it his passionate, sustained attention. It became a platform for philosophical ruminations on the meaning of it all. Ella Fitzgerald also contributed to that preservation with her monumental songbook albums, but with a couple of exceptions, they pale beside the power and authority of Sinatra's best work. Fitzgerald, with her phenomenal gifts, was not emotionally vested in song lyrics, Everything Sinatra recorded, he made sound intensely, sometimes agonizingly personal. Songs like Night and Day, I've Got You Under My Skin, One for My Baby, and Laura, became his and no one else's. He recorded these and others more than once over a period of years. When you think of them, it's likely Sinatra's voice you hear in your head. No matter what he's singing, you listen to the words and how he phrases them, and often have the sense that they're coming spontaneously out of his mind and not from the pen of the song's lyricist, although in his concerts he was scrupulous to give writing and arranging credits. With each re-recording, they expressed Sinatra's changing point of view over time,
and became the story of his life. Other singers followed his lead, and the interpretation of popular songs took on an entirely new significance. Evolving technology conveniently and happily coincided with his ascendancy. Until the invention of the microphone, the pop crooner adopting a relaxed conversational tone couldn't have existed. The sound of Bing Crosby, Sinatra's most influential forerunner and role model, evoked congeniality, nostalgia, and the comforts of hearth and home, but not the joys and pains of love. Sinatra used the microphone to convey an astounding intimacy, infused with a tender eroticism that turned increasingly bitter as the years went by. Crosby was your likable, easygoing next-door neighbor. Sinatra was your personal confidant, or in the case of women who adored him, a surrogate lover.